this time. You have no life except the one I give you. One of them is displaying symptoms of an unidentified virus. Oh my God. I'm here to prevent a pandemic. If there's anything I could do for you, you get me out of here. If you underestimate this target, she will be the last thing you see on this earth. Where is my daughter? The Crossing, all new next Monday at 10, 9 central on ABC. Welcome to week two of ABC's The Crossing podcast, where we'll be discussing all things Crossing-related going in-depth on the episode you just saw, exploring the science behind the fiction, and back again, it's the creators of The Crossing. We welcome writers Dan Dworkin and Jay Beatty. Hello. Hello. Hi, guys. And joining us this week, we have a special guest, Andrew Hessel, CEO of Humane Genomics Incorporated, the perfect guy to talk about diseases as weapons and issues surrounding that. We'll get to him in just a bit. But first, I'm your host, ABC Radio's Jason Nathanson. And last week, Dan, Jay, you guys promised that week two would reveal a lot about Reese. We got a lot of that. And we start the episode in the year 2187. So let's first get, that's our first glimpse of the future. Why that year? Uh, well, that, it was, it was a math a math deduction, basically. We needed to uh, have that be the, the point at which she found Leia is a baby. And we had had in the pilot uh, the refugee state uh, their birth dates, so we were able to figure out what year they they had come from, and so that twenty one eighty seven was how it kind of worked out, <laughs> basically. Yeah, so they're coming from twenty one ninety four. We had a lot of discussions early on in developing this about uh, what the date would be in the future, and how fast will all these technologies emerge? Uh, how fast will they be adopted? And I think initially we were thinking much farther out, 500 years possibly. And then I think we shrank it down to about 180 because all of our conversations with um, futurists uh, led us to believe that this could happen a lot faster. Really? Yeah. Everything's moving faster than we think. That's kind of scary. Yeah, well, these are the kinds of things that Andrew will inform in a few moments. But it, it depends on how you look at it. Scary is one word or yeah. hopeful. You and know, like phrase. we said last week, there's, there's, uh, there's two sides to science, the, looking at the science when it comes to how quickly everything's moving. And we get our glimpse into how Reese and Leia came to be together, because I think it, you know some people were wondering in the first episode, Leia's actually, or Leia's a uh, little blonde girl. Reese is not. They didn't really look alike. So we see how they got together. How'd that kind of storyline come together for you guys? Well, um, that was a very early story. Um, we, ha- we had from the get-go this, this idea that we wanted this this apex who was kind of engineered, bred, acculturated to, to uh, dislike the, the commons and to, to hunt them down and then to have a, a change of heart to feel these pangs um, of love for the first time and to be drawn to this little little girl and to want to raise her as her own. So we, we always loved that idea as a story. Because in the end, I mean, really, love is one of those motivating factors why people do a lot of what they do, right? And so this is a show. It's science fiction. There's technology. There's science, of course. But that human element is one of the most important motivating factors in a lot of things, right? Yeah, definitely. And it was important to test those limits, I think, with Reese to see how far she would transgress and rebel against 
the status quo and uh, the life that she knew to protect this little girl. And that's what we wanted to dig in in her backstory in episode two. So when you take us to the future, how did you decide what we would see of what's in our first glimpse of what the future looks like? Uh, what, what you'd leave in, what you would leave out? Well, <laughs> there's, so, there's so much to explore that, uh, you know, the, all the discussions were about showing a glimpse, you know. How can we give people just a peek into the future without having to open up the entire world and the you know the geopolitics of that? The, you know, um, another factor obviously is budget. <laughs> so frankly, um, there's only so much you can do with production design and, and visual effects. Well, um, also in, in in the second episode, we wanted to keep the 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 other stories going as well. So it was kind of a real estate issue too. We didn't want to we didn't want to dedicate you know, too much time to, to showing the future because we had to get back to Jude and get back to the, the people at the camp and, and keep those other stories going. Yeah. It really, it really boils down to character too. I mean, it's, we saw the future insofar as we're exploring Reese's story, you know, so it was only necessary to see her environment. Gotcha. And so we also get our first introduction to Mantle's disease. Yeah. Um, and which is, seems to be a very, motivating thing. It's going to be a, a big thing as the series progresses. So talk a little bit about what that is and why that's kind of this big overarching thing. Well, obviously in, in the pilot, I mean, originally we had this idea that there was uh, a, a genocide of sorts in the future and we were just trying to think of ways in which someone would execute um, a really efficient genocide and, and uh, a virus seemed to be pretty clean way of doing it. And then in talking to Andrew, we realized he'd already written lots of material on just this very scenario. And the notion of being able to engineer a virus to target just specific um, genetic profiles, just specific ethnicities, specific populations seems just super insidious and, and interesting. And so we, we rolled with that. And let's go ahead and bring in Andrew to talk about some of those issues. Andrew, welcome. Thank you for being here. Oh, thank you for having me. And what can, can you guys talk about how you found him? What would how you knew he was the right guy and kind of that kind of stuff? Uh, yeah, Jason Reed, um, one of our executive producers, knew Andrew and said this would be a great guy to talk to, and he was he was right. Um, I didn't know what Andrew did at the time, and I've, I've since found out that he does a lot of things. Maybe, Andrew, can, can you just, like, kind of say, can you kind of encapsulate some of the stuff that you do, why, why, this, why you're a good fit for this? Yeah, I, I work on the, the forefront of genetic engineering. I have for most of my life, whether it was reading DNA, analyzing DNA, um, or more recently starting to write DNA, uh, which is really giving us the ability to uh, kind of reprogram cells in, in unique ways. And, and, you know, he, he qualified beyond being a genetic engineer and a synthetic biologist. I, I think I could say that you qualify as a futurist, right? Uh, I have been described as a futurist because I'm basically only interested in the future. I, I can't change the past. The present <laughs> is so fleeting. Um, so I, I spend most of my time thinking about the future I want to create. Well, well I, we wanted to just get your take since, since obviously it's something we talked to you about and we explored a lot in the series. Just the reality of, like I said, you'd written, Andrew wrote this, I reread it last night, this awesome and very lengthy article co-wrote it for The Atlantic a few years back called Hacking the President's DNA. And it, it is about like, uh, you know, 
a, a potential scenario in the future where someone could just, you know, grab the president's or anyone's DNA off of basically a coffee cup or, or an old shirt or something and basically target a virus directly to that person. Um, could you just kind of talk about, like, the, the progress on that front in terms of the science? Yeah, that piece was actually written in, in 2011 and published in 2012. And the whole premise there is that you could build a, per, a targeted bioweapon uh, using uh, essentially synthetic virology to make viruses that m- m- were really specific to an individual. And the premise of that is, and actually the, the technical foundation of that is, we're getting much better, as you know, in, in, in fighting and identifying cancer. And, and you can look at the chemotherapies and other therapies that we use to fight cancer as, as really specific bioweapons because they're essentially targeting a cancer cell in a body. And if you can target a cancer cell in a body, you can target a, a person in a population. Um, and that was the premise of, of the article. And, and in fact, that technology uh, of being able to make designer viruses uh, with molecular control over the design has progressed really quickly and and that many groups are starting to use that as as their foundation for next generation therapies so so the the scenario that we conjured for the show seems within the bounds of of a future reality as far as you're concerned with the man- mantle's disease uh, it is it, it is within reach today. People make engineered completely synthetic engineered viruses today. Uh, uh, I've done it myself, so it's not that far in the future. Being able to do different applications with it, like target an entire population uh, effectively, uh, that is that is still remains in, in the future world. Hopefully there are checks and balances when it comes to using this kind of technology. Who's policing it? Is there a world body? Is it just uh, U.S. checks and balances? Uh, there, uh, there are organizations that scan for viruses and pandemics in general. The Center for Disease Control is one of them, but there are other groups. In terms of regulating uh, the design of synthetic viruses at this point, um, no, there is no global body. There is an industry consortium that looks for sequences of concern that are going to DNA synthesizers, but it is not a universal uh, body. Um, so this is a, a new space. Um, there are occasionally uh, publications that, that wake people up and go, oh, do we want to go here? Most recently, it was a group out of Canada that synthesized a synthetic horsepox virus, which is very similar to smallpox, which is, uh, which is one of the viruses we've eradicated on the planet because it's been so harmful to humans. Wow. I think what's scary about this uh, in listening to some of your TED Talks and stuff is just how cheap the technology is versus, you know, getting enriched uranium is probably very difficult. But if you're a mad genius and you want to synthesize a virus and use a 3D printer and get it out there, I mean, I've read that you were treating cancer in dogs and the first synthesized virus you make to treat bone cancer in dogs was $1,000. And you thought fairly soon you could get that down to a dollar. Yeah, it, it was a little bit more than a thousand dollars all in with the research. Uh, it was closer to ten thousand dollars, but but the actual synthesis of the virus can be just a, a, a few thousand dollars. It will get to be extremely cheap because we're still at very early days of DNA synthesis technology. So um, as part of what I do um, in my work, I go and 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 meet with various groups and raise awareness that we probably need to rethink some of the organizations like the CDC and the FDA, etc. Uh, 
uh, to keep up with the pace of these new digital biotechnologies. But I want to be clear, the, there's, uh, there's, we have the most amazing defense system already uh, in existence today, which is just our immune system. Um, it is so good at fighting off potential pathogens, even pathogens it's never seen before, that you know we're, we're reasonably well protected today biologically, but we do need to enhance that with, with, our, with our regulations and our oversight uh, in agencies. Well, yeah. I, and I, I just want to pivot on to just the, the notion of apex as a whole. Obviously, we have, we have kind of put forth this idea that you know, within 150, 180 years, you, you could have a, an enhanced species of human um, that has been brought about by genetic engineering that is capable of, you know, the types of things that Reese does and more, um, you know, whether it's strength, you know, enhanced strength and reflexes and, and hearing ability and et cetera. Um, what is your take on that? Like, how, how quickly would something like that become possible? Wow. Um, it's anyone's guess, but, but the fundamental tools and technologies are in development today. Um, one of the other uh, projects that I'm involved in is something called the Genome Project Right. And, and you know, most people remember the Human Genome Project, which was an, uh, an international effort to read the genetic code of a human being. It started in the 1980s and was completed in 2003. $3 billion international effort. And, and today that's made DNA sequencing and being able to read genetic code really fast and inexpensive and, and do the analysis on, on that type of data. But, uh, uh, but in two years ago, scientists got together and started to organize about building the tools and technologies to write large genomes like the human genome. And, and because it's, it's, this is much harder than a virus. It's much harder than building a bacterial genome. It's really thinking about how it's a really a moonshot grand challenge project. And so, but these technologies tend to, like computers, evolve really quickly. So uh, we're looking at, you know, if, if the technology keeps progressing on pace, it, it, it's not unreasonable that we could have the the ability to write a human genome from scratch in the next 10 to 20 years. So, so whether we know how to program a human, that's a different thing. Whether we actually make designer humans, that's, that's still science fiction. But the core technologies for doing um, genome engineering of large genomes, plants, animals, humans, um, is in development now, and I think it will progress faster than most people realize, because biology is such a universal system. It, there's just not. It, it's it's once you start to figure it out, you know, it it, it goes pretty quickly. <laughs> well, let's let's talk. That's something I actually did want to want you to kind of explain, because for me. Like in doing research, like I remember watching, uh, Jay watched it too, I think, years ago, a, a documentary about Ray Kurzweil, and and that was the the first time that I ever saw a graphic for the the exponential growth curve, where it yes. just starts to go straight up at a certain point. They were talking about AI specifically, but it, it's similar for lots of different technologies. I, I think, can you just explain like Moore's law and exponential growth just to give people out there an idea of how fast these things can progress? 
it, it's Moore's law it has essentially powered the growth of computers over time. And it basically says the the number of computers you can put on a chip every 18 to 24 months doubles, um, which is pretty remarkable. There is, but there are lots of technologies that double in capacity or capability over uh, a year or two. And, and one of those capabilities has been DNA sequencing, for example. The first, the first time we sequenced the human genome, it, it took really an international team of scientists 15 years and, and, and a billion dollars. Today, you can get your genome sequenced in an afternoon for under $1,000. So it's, it's incredibly cheap and still getting cheaper. Um, the writing DNA is very similar. So, so today it's expensive to write a, a, a human genome. If we tried to do it, it would probably cost about a billion dollars. But we know that in 10 or 20 years, it could be a thousand dollars, just like sequencing. In fact, sequencing technology advanced about at points five times faster than Moore's law. <laughs> so, so we don't know how fast biology can, can, can go. But Kurzweil also writes that all these technologies kind of converge, AI, bio, um, computing, um, somewhere around 2050, and if you start graphing it out. And so we really expect a different world once, you know, once all of these tools and technologies start to really create a giant tidal wave of change. Guys, I got to say, this is a fascinating conversation and one hopefully we'll have more time for on future episodes of The Crossing Podcast. But sadly, we got to leave it right there for now. I want to thank you guys for uh, joining us, Jay and Dan and Andrew. Uh, absolutely fascinating stuff. And we want you to be a part of this podcast. Send us your questions on Twitter using the hashtag The Crossing Podcast. That's The Crossing Podcast. And we'll adjust, uh, address your questions on future shows, hopefully. The Crossing Podcast is a production of Brick Moon Fiction. Thanks to you guys for, for doing this with us. I'm your host, ABC Radio's Jason Nathanson. We'll cross paths next week. <laughs>